Listen, although no one knows but God when Christ will come back to rapture his church, the increase in demonic doctrine should alert us that that time is fast approaching. These are the days of Satan, and his servants are everywhere. And we need to be alert to what is happening right at the end of our nose. And if you don't see it, my friend, you are blind. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, End Times Apostasy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The apostasy of our day is a reminder that we are in latter times. And today, Pastor Carl will address the concern of the church in the midst of growing apostasy. Please join us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 as we continue. Now notice the sixth and final stanza. Christ was taken up in glory. He was taken up in glory. He was proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so at the ascension, he left this world to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Now the truth in this hymn represents some of the great doctrines of the faith that the church is to be responsible in preaching and teaching as part of our common confession. It represents what we as the church is to hold up as the pillar in support of the truth. The truth that we are to lift high that men might see it and understand it and in response believe it. We're not to tell people just what they want to hear, trying to be relevant. We are to preach what they need to hear because the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. So having discussed the church's conduct, he then unfolded for us the church's confession in the midst of apostasy. Third and finally, the church's concern in the midst of apostasy. What is the church's concern to be? Well, Paul begins chapter 4 with an immediate and stark contrast. He moves from what he calls in verse 16, the mystery of godliness, to what he calls in verse 1, the doctrines of demons. Follow along. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So having set up the contrast with the word but, Paul now warns us that the apostates have a different kind of confession. False teachers promote a different message, and in turn, they live, therefore, a different lifestyle. And because the church is the pillar in support of the truth, we need to know about such people so that we're not caught off guard. So we would do well to pay attention this morning. First, he tells us, apostasy is predicted by the Spirit. Apostasy is predicted by the Spirit. Paul informs us that what he is about to convey is a prophecy that comes directly from the Holy Spirit. Notice, what the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Question, when did the Spirit of God give this prophecy? 
Well, it could possibly be that Paul is referring to what Jesus said on the Mount of Olivet, a sermon that by this time he would have well been familiar with. Jesus said there, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. I've told you in advance. We've always had false teachers, but Jesus is looking at a future time when there would be a plethora of false prophets and false teachers. Or it's possible that Paul is referring to a prediction he himself made that the Spirit of God uh, spoke through him. It's recorded in Acts 20, where we read, I know, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw the disciples after them. Or it's possible that even as he is penning this verse of Scripture, the Spirit of God at this moment is giving him a prophetic word. In either case, the Spirit of God warns, in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Now, unlike the term last days, where it can refer to that time beginning with Pentecost or even the last of the last days because Paul in 2 Timothy 3 describes the last days as going progressively worse and worse. The term latter times refers specifically in Scripture to that time frame at the very end of the age before the second coming of Christ. This warning certainly would have application for Timothy as a pastor because there's always been apostasy in the church, but it especially has application for those who live at the end of the age where sin and apostasy would grow and multiply. And so God teaches us that as we approach the second coming, apostasy will increase and it will culminate in the great apostasy. Again, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, and at that time, many will fall away. He's describing those who turn their back on the Christian faith and will deliver up one another and hate one another. Even within churches, even within the saints of God, there will be people who will be turncoats who will go against the people of God. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. So likewise, the Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica that it was impossible that they were in the tribulation period. Why? Because the apostasy of apostasies hadn't happened. We're going to study this in a few weeks. There has been apostasy throughout the inception of the church. As you move progressively towards the end of the age, there's growing apostasy, and that will plant the seeds for the apostasy of all apostasies when the Antichrist comes and presents himself as the true Messiah. But here's the point. During some unspecified time in the future, many, many will fall away from the sound truths of Christianity. No longer will they live by biblical truth and proclaim the Christian message. Instead, the things that they once stand for, they will turn their back on. And so while, again, throughout the history of the church, there's been doctrinal controversy and confusion and conflicts of one kind or another between truth and heresy, the battle is raging in our day like it has never raged before in the history of the church. And we shouldn't be surprised. Why? Because the Spirit explicitly said a long time ago 
that this day was coming. So apostasy first is predicted by the Spirit. Second, apostasy is described by Paul. It's described by Paul. The Apostle Paul gives us four ways by which we can recognize a false teacher in the final paragraph that follows. First, he teaches us that false teachers are energized by Satan. They're energized by the evil one to be able to present doctrines of demons. Follow it. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, notice there's a difference here between the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, and deceitful spirit, small s. He's referring to both the Spirit of God and to demons. And so the Apostle Paul does not trace false teaching merely to false teachers, but he is reminding us behind false teachers, there are demons who are at work. Now, we tend to think of Satan and demons simply as enticing people directly into evil. And indeed, they can do that. But demons also deceive people into error to embrace what is contrary to the truth. So just as there is the mystery of godliness that we just read about, there's also the mystery of lawlessness that surrounds the work of Satan and all of his fallen minions. And so people often ask me, how is it, Pastor? How is it possible that educated, otherwise intelligent people can swallow some of the fantastic teaching that the cults and all these aberrant groups have in our day? How could they follow such moronic nonsense? very simple. It's because there are demons that are at work. How could millions of people accept the teachings of Muhammad where you are being blessed to slit someone's throat? How could Roman Catholics accept papal infallibility? How could nominal Protestants reject the deity of Jesus? For the simple reason that behind false teachers are enticing and seducing demonic forces. Satan, he is the great imitator, and just as God has his pastors and his ministers, so the devil has his. Deceitful spirits work through false teachers. Paul reminded the Corinthians, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Here are some headlines reflecting doctrines of demons. I just gave you the pictures from the captions of the articles that went. This headline was entitled, Lutheran Church to Host Queer Camp This Summer for LGBTQ Teens. That, my friend, is a doctrine of a demon. Second, the Cultural Research Center reports 43% of millennials don't know, care, or believe that God exists. My friend, agnosticism and atheism is a doctrine of a demon. Here's a picture of the headquarters of the Swedish church, and the caption of the article said, Church of Sweden announces it's a transgender church. That, my friend, is a doctrine of a demon. Here in April of 2022, the Earth Day theme, and the theme was, quote, invest in our planet, the article says. Why? Because Earth is more than just a spaceship. She is our mother. She gives us life. There is nowhere else to go but to stay and love her. 
And by the way, this is being peddled to our children and the government school system all across America. And ironically, Earth Day is now considered to be the largest secular holiday in the world. And yet there is little that is secular about it. It is covered over in all kinds of spiritual falsehood and spiritual activities from singing to Mother Earth, interfaith conferences, on and on and on I go. Here's another doctrine of a demon. Pope Francis says he would definitely baptize aliens if they asked him. A, he believes there are aliens on other planets when the scripture is clear. All life is in this place. We call Earth. All of the planets around shout death, shout the fall of man, shout that there is a problem in the universe. But this is the kind of doctrines of demons the evil one will use when the church is gone. What will be their explanation? These pilots see these lights flying and moving. I'm telling you, those are demons at work, and they will blame it on demons after the church is gone. The Methodist church, here's another one, seeks to ordain this lady pictured, a drag queen into pastoral ministry. This, my friend, is a doctrine of a demon. Here's another one. Ohio High School elects a lesbian couple as prom king and queen. Friend, that is a doctrine of a demon. Here's another one. Widely popular prophetess Kat Kerr says, some beings are co-eternal, always existing alongside God, not created by him. That is a doctrine of a demon. Here the BBC reports, drag queen story hour, now in America's Bible Belt. Where specifically? Greenville, South Carolina. That is a doctrine of a demon. And then as of April 11th, 2022, U.S. citizens can now select X as their gender marker on their U.S. passport applications for the accurate identification of themselves as either transgender or a non-binary American. That, my friend, is a doctrine of a demon. People protest over the Supreme Court's leaked decision on abortion. They want to kill little babies in the womb in the most protected place they are to be. That, my friend, is a doctrine of a demon, and I don't care if it's the president or the vice president or some senator or congressman to propagate that as a preacher or anyone else. It's nothing short of a doctrine of a demon. Listen. But not only are these false teachers energized by the devil, secondly, false teachers lead people astray. And that the Spirit explicitly says they will lead people away from the faith. Friends will fall away from the faith. The goal is to seduce people. Why? To get them to depart from the faith. Again, it's articular. That body of truth that we call the Bible. Now understand, Scripture must interpret Scripture. It is absolutely impossible for a true Christian to fall away from the faith. And so when that pastor in D.C., 2019, a 10,000-member attendance church now renounces the faith and embraces and gay parades the homosexual lifestyle, he was never saved to begin with. He was a false teacher, someone who had fallen away from the faith. Listen to what John reminds us of. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, 
but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. 1 John 2.19 is underscoring that when someone comes into the church, even as a leader, even as a preacher, even as a pastor, the spirit of Antichrist is all over them when they renounce the faith because they were not really true Christians. Because if you have it, you can't lose it. And if you lost it, you never had it to begin with. But not only are these false teachers energized from, by demons, not only do they lead people away from the truth, the Bible says in verse 2, they're hypocrites. Notice, he tells us that these people, uh, these false teachers will get people to fall away. How? By means of the hypocrisy of liars searing their own conscience as with a branding iron. False teachers preach one thing, but they practice another thing. They tell their disciples what they should do, but they they don't do it themselves. And that's how the devil works, by means of the hypocrisy of liars. And a true man of God, with honesty and integrity of heart, practices what he preaches. But the devil's got his hypocrites so that when they go and they fall, then all those people on the edge of apostasy, on the edge of making a decision, aha, you see, I was right. This whole thing is a scam. I now reject Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus reminded us that you will know them by their fruits. And notice the word seared here. It's the Greek word that we get directly into English, our word cauterize, cautiziriazo. Cauterize comes from it. It's when you take a hot branding iron and you brand something. Well, someone can have their conscience cauterized and just as a calf that has been branded cannot feel where he's been branded, some people develop an unfeeling conscience. And Jesus makes it clear that this proves that a person is not genuinely saved. They're led astray by hypocrisy, by these false teachers, and behind these false teachers are deceitful spirits. Notice further how he illustrates one particular heresy that they might uh, embrace, and he gives us kind of an exaggerated asceticism that they taught. In verse 3, he speaks of these false teachers who are, notice, men, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now think your way through this. Marriage and food, they both have to do with natural bodily appetites, sex on the one hand, hunger on the other. However, some of these extreme asceticists in Paul's day taught that an unmarried person, contrary to what Scripture says is a general principle, that it's not good for a man to be alone, that an unmarried person was, quote-unquote, more spiritual. Likewise, people who abstain from certain foods were more spiritual. Look, you ought to have your antennas up if someone begins to mess with God's plan for marriage. When they begin to talk about same-sex marriage or they tell us, you know, for Earth Day, we shouldn't be eating meats anymore. Bill Gates, I'm going to have a good steak tonight before I'm done. Look, I'll eat all the meat I want to eat. These are false teachers. These are people who have a warped, distorted view of life. For God plainly says in verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. The fact that five times God over in his creation says it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. 
affirms that his creation is good, and we are to embrace these things with gratitude through the giving of thanks and with prayer. And then finally, apostasy is to be exposed by the pastor. It's to be exposed by the pastor. Verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, talking to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Now again, sadly, many churches in America have their pastors so busy that the very things that they should be focusing on, the teaching of God's word and prayer and its preparation, they're doing all kinds of crazy things. If God has called a pastor to preach the word and he hasn't called every elder to do that, some are worthy of double honor who earn their money, so to speak, through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. But if that is what God has called a man of God to do, then that's what he needs to do. And he needs to jettison some of the expectations that people have him on being at this meeting or that meeting and every other meeting. And he needs to put his focus where it is. A good servant must be, notice first, nourished on the words of the faith. It's much like Deuteronomy 6. These words must first be in your heart, dads. Then you can teach them to your children as you walk in the way. Likewise, a pastor must himself be nourishing himself on the truth of God's word so that he can point out error when it is plain. Now, how are we going to apply this? Let me suggest three applications as we close our time off this morning. Number one, the apostasy of our day is a reminder that we are living in the latter times. Listen, although no one knows but God when Christ will come back to rapture his church, the increase in demonic doctrine should alert us that that time is fast approaching. These are the days of Satan, and his servants are everywhere. And we need to be alert to what is happening right at the end of our nose. And if you don't see it, my friend, you are blind. And many will come like a Joel Osteen or a T.D. Jakes or a Joyce Myers. They're all crooks. They're crooks. They don't even have the gospel. They preach a different gospel. And people love them because they're so ignorant they don't even know their book anymore. And they can't even see the error of it. Listen, they may speak well, they may be persuasive, they may move you emotionally, but we are to reject the false teachers of our day, and the fact that there are so many is a constant reminder that we are living at the end of this age. Secondly, the apostasy of our day is a motivation to know our Bibles. It's a motivation to know our Bibles. Paul just said to Timothy that you are to be constantly nourished in the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. Paul's point, not just to Timothy, but to every Christian, is that you cannot combat error unless you have a diet of truth. In our personal lives and in our churches, it is absolutely essential that we digest the truth of the Word of God. Only then can we have a solid grounding to protect the local assembly from the deceitful spirits of the last days? Then third and finally, the apostasy of our day is a warning to guard our consciences. It's a warning to guard our consciences. Paul has already had a lot to say about the conscience. He opened the letter in 1 Timothy 1.5 by saying, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.19 to fight the good fight, where he says, keeping faith and a good conscience, 
which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So the true believer must keep his conscience clean. He must keep it clear, lest he be disqualified from God using him. We just read in chapter 4 and verse 2 that in the last days it will be people who by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Now listen, a true believer cannot sear his conscience. He cannot catarize his conscience. But he can dirty it up and then be swayed in the wrong way and lose all discernment. See, it's those who, through obedience, have trained, gymnasticized their consciences to discern good and evil that are able to make good decisions for themselves, for their families, for the people that they lead, for the ministries God has entrusted. But you go home and you dirty up your conscience and you will begin to make stupid decisions and you will regret it when you see the fruit of it. Watch over your heart with all diligence because from it flow the very issues of life. Listen, if you're hearing me today and you've never received Jesus, today is the day to be saved, the scripture teaches. And the biggest challenge you will face will not be intellectual, it will be moral. Because you see, a man's theology is driven by his morality. And you say, I don't believe that, Pastor. I don't like that, Preacher. He's too narrow in the moral code that he affirms. And you end up kicking your conscience to death. And then you can reach a point where you cannot hear, Jesus said, and you cannot believe. You don't come to Christ on your own. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. But if the Spirit of God is working on your heart, don't spurn him, don't put him off. Yield your heart to him and call upon Jesus in salvation. Our Father, I recognize there are some people who could say no today where they might never have another chance to say yes. So help them to see the urgency of the message that you have given us. Help them in simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, the day that we're living in, we know is evil. It's like a tsunami of sin and evil is sweeping our land and our world. And the decisions that the American people are making and embracing are so upside down and so far from truth we never would have believed this 10 years ago. So help us not to be blind. Help us to recognize that you're in control, that you're sovereign in the affairs of men and nations, that none of this has captured you by surprise, but you've warned your church that we might not be captured by the evil of our day. So help us today to be the first day of the rest of our life that if we've soiled our consciences through compromise, through things we watch or listen to, that we might repent of that and walk in the light as he is in the light. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we close, 
One of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy of Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? with a donation of any amount to search the scriptures. Please give us a call at 877-787-7478 or visit searchthescriptures.org to receive your copy today. If you missed any of our previous messages and would like to order your own copy, give us a call and request program God's Prophetic Schedule 004. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.